G'day folks, Troy Dean here from WP Elevation and welcome to the WP Elevation podcast. This is episode number 25. Our feature guest this week is Brian Clark from Copyblogger. For those of you that have been living under a rock for the last 10 years, Copyblogger is of course home to Studio Press, home of Genesis theme framework and all of the beautiful Genesis themes. Also Scribe uh, content marketing software and synthesis WordPress hosting. Brian Clark is undoubtedly the original content marketer before content marketing was a buzzword. So in this episode, you are going to learn the importance of creating content and how to build your own audience through content marketing. If you're already doing it, by the end of this episode, you are gonna be more inspired and more confident to ramp up your efforts because Brian really does lay down the law in this episode and show you why and how you should be creating content to build your own audience. Stay with us. This is the WP Elevation Podcast, helping WordPress consultants elevate. This episode of the WP Elevation Podcast is brought to you by the WP Elevation Program, the world's first business accelerator program designed specifically to help WordPress consultants get better quality clients, work on better, more interesting projects, and get paid better fees. You can check out all the details and join at wpelevation.com. And we've got a slightly new format to the podcast, you may have noticed. Uh, give us some feedback on the uh, podcast uh, website at wpelevation.com slash podcast. Let us know what you think about the new format. Uh, every week now we're going to give you an elevation tip, something that we've learned from one of our colleagues or members or one of our guests that will help you in your business and help you position yourself as a premium consultant. This week's tip comes directly from our guest Brian Clark. When I asked him, how do you stop competing on price?, he said, well, you just make a choice not to compete on price. In fact, you just put your prices up. Uh, I love that. He, he said, you know, putting your prices up can sometimes have a, a more positive impact than a negative impact. And I can tell you, when I first started increasing my prices in my WordPress consultancy, I was very nervous. It's not something that I did lightly. Uh, and I thought, what if I miss out on all this work? The reality is it cut out a lot of incoming inquiries from tire kickers that didn't have any budget. And that saved me a lot of time. And it attracted higher quality clients who previously didn't take me seriously because I was only charging 1500 bucks for a website. So I urge you, the next time you're going to submit a proposal, think about what you would ordinarily quote and then just add 20% to it, see how it feels, see what kind of feedback you get. So that's the elevation tip this week, just put your prices up. All right, for those of you that don't know who Brian Clark is, as I mentioned in the introduction, he is the founder and CEO of Copyblogger. Copyblogger, of course, is now home to Studio Press, home of Genesis theme framework and all the Genesis themes, uh, home to Scribe content marketing software, Synthesis WordPress hosting, uh, Authority, the education and training program where they teach you how to become an authority in your niche, Entreproducer, and their new platform, The New Rainmaker, which at the moment is just a podcast. Uh, Brian talks about how that is evolving into something bigger. What I love about this episode is Brian talks about how in the early days, and he was publishing content on the original copy blogger blog, no one was listening, no one was paying attention, and how he just kept persisting, knowing that building an audience would eventually pay off. And that first year or year and a half, they weren't making any revenue out of that audience, but they kept going anyway. So I hope you learn as much uh, about content marketing and building an audience as I did in this episode. Without further ado, let's get into the interview with Brian Clark from Copyblogger. 
G'day, Troy Dean here from WP Elevation, and I'm very honoured to have all the way with me from Denver, Colorado, Brian Clark from Copyblogger. Brian, good afternoon. How are you? I'm very good. Thank you very much for joining us on the WP Elevation podcast. Oh, my pleasure. Thank you for having me. For those of you that don't know, uh, Brian is founder and CEO of Copyblogger Media, and which pretty much own the internet these days, I think. Uh, he employs about 8,000 staff. <laughs> <laughs> I'm kidding. Um, copy making blogger. my job harder already. <laughs> copy, if you don't know who Brian is, you've been living under a rock or you know nothing about WordPress. Brian, of course, is a uh, copy blogger, is home of you know, Studio Press, uh, Genesis, um, Scribe, Synthesis Hosting, uh, Authority, Entreproducer, New Rainmaker. Uh, it's ridiculous the amount of stuff these guys are involved in, and we're going to talk all about that and more in the interview. However, before we get started, Brian has very kindly sponsored the Genesis Pro Pack, uh, valued at $400, which is the Genesis framework, all the themes and everything they do in the future. It's kind of like becoming one of their number one fans and getting pre-registration of everything they do from here on in. Uh, stick around for details on how you can enter that competition a little bit later on. All right, Brian, before we start talking about WordPress, when you were a kid, what did you want to be when you grew up? Oh, that's a good question. So my relatives love to trot out this recording of me when I was four years old. Uh, and they got me on tape saying that I wanted to become a con construction worker, right? And, uh, you know, I wanted to build things and, you know, just constantly, you know, I'd bring a girlfriend over and, oh, let's listen to Brian <laughs> when he was four. Right. <laughs> And as I, I got older, I ended up going, you know, went to college and then, uh, you know, didn't know what to do, went to law school. Uh, I was also very interested in real estate development. And I think it was that same sort of building uh, impulse that I had. And, and then I found out, actually, I found out before then, because I was a psychology major, that my uh, personality type is INTJ, which shorthand for builder, right? I build websites though, and and if you ever saw me with a hammer or out in the physical world, you'd be yeah, stick with websites, Brian. <laughs> um, but yeah, I do I do better in the digital realm, but I love to build stuff. I, that's what drives me. So, do you think that's what? Do you kind of? Uh, it's funny. I was talking to Collis from Envato about this recently about building a company. For me, is kind of like building a website. You're bringing all these kind of components and you put them together to create something which is bigger than the sum of the parts, yeah? Yeah. Oh, it's it's very similar. And uh, I, t frankly, I, I think that's the way I mentally process all aspects of, of both the company and in any individual project that we're working on. I, I look at it that way. So, mm. When did you discover the web? So, uh, 94, right at the beginning of the commercial web, um, I... I made it through college and law school without even owning a computer. I know that sounds bizarre now, but at the time you could actually do it. Um, but I had read uh, William Gibson. I don't know if you're familiar with his work. He coined the term cyberspace. Uh -huh. And I read his work in, in the 80s, and I just couldn't wait until the cyberspace thing came along. I was very <laughs> interested in, uh, with, from a conceptual standpoint. So uh, like I said, I used to practice law and I hated it, just couldn't wait to get away. And I just kept looking at the internet, basically the web from 94 to 98 and said, there's got to be a way to make a living being able to reach all these people this way. So at that point in 98, I, I took the leap and it's all a blur since then. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember the first time you saw the WordPress dashboard? Had to be 2005. It's funny. Um, 
I had uh, been, okay, so from 98 to 2005, uh, I had learned how to build websites really badly, you know, with Dreamweaver and all the HTML tools back in the 90s. And then, um, you know, basically figured out with, with the help of a designer who would basically give me a, a design template and then I would post each page by FTP, you know, the old, no one, everyone's like, what are you talking about? So I'm trying to explain to my kids, like pre-YouTube, you yeah. know, it, they don't compute, but yeah, it used to be very difficult. Um, and in 2005, I shifted out of the businesses I was in and started looking into blogging. Um, I'd been using blogs, but not blogging properly, if you will. And, you know, at that time, even though it was really early days, WordPress was just what all the smart people were using. And I was like, well, I'm using WordPress. Um, and that was the first time in 2005 I started a play around blog uh, with WordPress to test it out. And then in December of 2005, I came up with the idea for Copy Blogger. And January 9th of 2006, it was launched. So I didn't mess around once I, <laughs> wow. once I get motivated. Were you still working at that point as a lawyer or in, or in real estate? Or? And real estate uh, winded up basically um, had kind of a serious health thing in the spring of 2005. And that made me decide that I wasn't going to be in real estate because I wasn't really happy with it. Um, so I sort of wound things up and was looking for the next thing to do through the balance of that year, did projects um, for, for cash flow, basically. So no, by the time Copy Blogger started, that was what I did. Yeah. And then I found ways to make money because we didn't sell anything off Copy Blogger for a year and a half. A lot of people don't remember that. So, so what were you, were you doing, client services back then, or were you building... Yeah, we, I would build websites. Some of them I sold. Um, we sold a website, uh, started in 2006, and sold it six months later. Uh, it was a video site, right? Right when YouTube, uh, they hadn't been acquired yet, but it was Video Mania. Mm. Uh, so that helped fund that year of 2007. But before then, um, I did a few joint ventures with companies. I, I had a financial services company who they had a great product to sell. They didn't understand anything about internet marketing. So I said, hey, let me do it for you and we'll split revenue. It turned out to be a better deal for me than them because <laughs> it was like shooting fish in a barrel, you know. But um, I, that's the kind of stuff I would do. That was this, I had this, and I still have this concept of, of the producer. You know, you can bring in business for people who might not have the same skill set as you and it can be very lucrative yeah yeah uh it's you know it's i quite often think about if i could start again and i you know talked to a lot of colleagues if you could start again what would you do it would be find a way to pay the rent and just produce mountains of content targeted content and don't worry about how we're going to make money just yet just build an audience and find another way to pay the rent for a couple of years yeah and a lot of people have done that because they did have a day job you know, and it's hard work to show up every evening, you're tired and, you know, you got to get out uh, a post or an article or something like that. But a lot of those people are doing really well these days because mm. they, they stuck it out. Mm. Um, so there's different ways to go about it. But I always tell people, you know, be patient if you can, because you build that trust up with an audience. That's worth more than the short term return you're going to get. Absolutely. Uh, fast forwarding to today, when you meet people for the first time and they say, hey, Brian, what do you do? How do you sum that up in one sentence? What's the elevator pitch, so to speak? 
you would think that I would have that down. But that's <laughs> one of the most difficult things for us because we are this perpetual uh, nervous energy company where every year we have a major new thing. Part of that was because we were building something larger. And the other part of it is we just like to do cool stuff. So uh, last year... Uh, we, you know, we've never taken any sort of investment capital or anything like that. And we like it uh, that way. But there are people who are very interested in giving us money. Um, so I talk to those people periodically. And I found that it, it's kind of hard to explain to a normal person what we do. It, <laughs> yeah. It's very, but if you're in the WordPress space, I think most people kind of get, oh, okay, so you sell designs over here with StudioPress. And then you sell hosting over here with Synthesis and Scribe is content marketing software and, you know. Um, but basically, we help uh, people achieve their business goals with online marketing. And, and for us, that's content because that's what works. Other yeah. things, not so well. Yeah, yeah. Okay, nice. And um, what do you, at, as CEO at, of this company that is growing astronomically, what do you actually find yourself spending most of your time doing day to day these days? It's interesting because, you know, obviously at the very beginning, very, very content intensive. Um, the last few years was more product development behind the scenes, growing the company. And I actually am more comfortable uh, behind the scenes. I know there's like a, a group of people that kind of came up in the early social media days and they really like attention. And I'm not <laughs> trying to be rude here. I'm just saying they, they thrive on it. They live off of it. And I'm, I'd rather be behind the scenes, you know? Um, but, uh, so, but we have been working on, on building a, a total platform. Um, and that took a lot of work and now that's about ready to go. And now I'm back to creating content, which is the, the whole new rainmaker thing that we're working on. So, mm. It really depends on what needs to be done, but I'm still, I have an incredible team, which has allowed me not to micromanage, mm. and yet certain things, like I still write all the copy for all the product sites. I mean, wow. I'm, I'm just the guy who does that. If we launch a new product, I will run that. I don't hand it off. Wow. Um, but it, it works that way. But I, I couldn't do anything without the 30 people that support me. It, mm. It's amazing what, an, what, you know, they make me look good. Let's face it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, what's the one thing that keeps you awake at night? Well, that's another good question because um, my partners and some of my employees will accuse me of being a perpetual worrier. And I think that's my job to a certain degree, even though things are going great. I think it's my role to think about the what ifs and whatnot. So I've started sleeping a lot better lately because I think because we have, uh, put out all these different lines of business, as opposed to a company with one line of business, we're so defensible. If something went south, you can shift very quickly and we're a very agile company. So I've actually started sleeping better. Um, but while I'm awake, I, I make sure and worry a lot. <laughs> so you do your worrying while you're awake so that you can exactly, sleep at night. Right. Right? I, you know, you got to get your sleep. I'm getting up there. <laughs> Excellent. <laughs> uh, how do you, how do you chill out and unwind? What do you do when you're not working? Kids, you know, which is a whole nother job, but, uh, yeah, yeah. I love them. They're, they're crazy. And because, Apparently, I'm their father, so, you know, I, <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I really enjoy family. Um, I don't do a lot of, 
I don't really do much else. But now that I live in Boulder, hiking, all the outdoor, it's like mandatory here. You have to be in shape or they'll kick you out of the town. Right. So, so uh, there, pardon, pardon my geography, but where is Boulder in relation to Denver? So just northwest of Denver, right at the edge of the foothills where, you know, the Rockies start. Mm. It's the home of uh, CU, Colorado, gotcha. University of Colorado. Um, so it's a college town. It's, it's, a, it's a cool place to live. But you can still always go into Denver if you want the big city. Right. And where do you, where's the office base? Where's, uh, where's Copyblogger HQ? So it's interesting because we do have our primary listed office uh, here in Boulder um, on Broadway, which is the main artery in town. Um, but technically, I'm the only one here because <laughs> we are uh, we're post geographic is what we like to call ourselves now. Um, distributed throughout North America, which including quite a few people in Canada, but we've also uh, have a few people now in Brazil which is, wow. is very cool. So, yeah, we're all over the place. Um, wow. But it, we have a collection. Uh, I think our second, there are people in the Denver metro area. Mm. I, I'm the only one who technically lives in Boulder. Right. Um, but there's a big collection of people in Dallas because our whole server team is there. Mm -hmm. um, Sean Jackson, who's our CFO and the guy who created Scribe, mm. is there. So there, there's a big collection of people there. So we have another office there as well. Wow. For some reason, I don't know why, but for some reason, I thought you guys were all in one kind of place. I've spoken to a lot of, you know, 10 up and uh, a lot of guys who are distributed workforce. But for some reason, I had it in my mind that you guys were in one great yeah, big building. Like, uh, you know, Brian Gardner's in Chicago, right, okay. Falls there. Um, Sonia's here in Colorado, but uh, Tony Clark's on, on the East Coast, North Carolina. Nathan, who created Genesis, is in, uh, you know, over on the East Coast as well. So, a lot of people in, in Canada, you know, so Ron and Andrea, you know, who are big WordPress people, and yeah. we're very lucky to have them uh, on our team. Um, you know, we're not going to get the, the – the great thing about this model, and this is the way it happened. There wasn't, I don't think, any sort of grand plan to be a distributed company. It was who's the best person that we could work with? I mean, who do we feel blessed to be able to work with? Oh, they happen to live in Canada. Well, that's fine. This is the internet. You know, I mean, we're, we're the type of company that can pull off the collaboration without being face-to-face. -face. That said, we get together once or twice a year in one place. Um, the next time we'll be uh, again in Denver in May because we're having a conference at the same time. So we do get together a couple times a year, and it's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. The ideas that get kicked around and all that. Uh, but we also say if we were around each other all the time, we'd never get any work done. <laughs> <laughs> How do you – I'm just interested in this um, – a little bit off topic, but uh, uh, having, having people scattered all over the place – how do you make sure, like, first of all, how do you kind of decide, well, this is the big thing that we're trying to achieve this month or this quarter, and then how do you make sure everyone in that kind of team working on that project is on the same page and stays moving in the same direction? Yeah, that's a great question, and it's, I don't know, it's not as hard as it sounds because we grew up this way. We almost don't know another way, mm. but if you were to take a traditional company and try to split them up, you know, I think it would be chaos. Um, but we divide up into broader, I would say the company, if you want to look at the company in divisions, which we're, we try to always maintain being very integrated with each other. And if we ever feel like 
we're factioning off, we get together and, and get past that. It's important to us from a cultural standpoint, but there's editorial, which is the content creators. There's development, which are the programmers and there's support, which are hugely crucial. You know, when you come down, when you're a software company, you're selling support when it comes down to it, yeah. you know, especially in WordPress, which is GPL. So, yeah. um, and of course, if you have hosting. So, but but the the magic is really those three areas coordinating with each other as as well as we can. And like I said, if we when we feel like we're drifting apart, management, as it will, we're a pretty flat company. But mm -hmm. um, you know, we make a, a an effort to make sure everyone's talking to each other. But, you know, Tony Clark's our COO. He's an operations process geek. He just <laughs> enjoys doing that kind of stuff. And I'm more of the strategic, big picture, content developer type. Um, so technically, um, I work uh, with editorial, but they kind of run their, their own show as well with broad directives about here's what we're doing, here's where we're going. So it, it really, I think to answer your question, it's like, Everyone has to understand what, where you're heading. What's the goal? You know, begin with the end in mind, that kind of thing. Mm. Uh, and then how do you get there? And that's filling in the steps is, is really the, what a successful company does, I would suppose. Mm. Because the end, the end result is kind of the why, isn't it? I mean, this is why we're doing, this is why I'm doing these tasks right. today and working on this project because this is where we're going to end up. So never lose sight of the why because that drives the how and the what. And I think it's just inevitable that sometimes there will be a do this without a why. Yeah. And people tend to get lost, you yeah. know, and then you got to go, I'm sorry, I forgot. Here's why. And they're like, oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. You know, the why is very important. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, if you could wave a magic wand and fix one thing in Copyblogger right now, what would it be? Fix one thing, like internally in the company, or yeah. just if there was one thing about the business that you could fix right now that kind of bugs you, what would it be? You know what bugs me, and it, it's interesting because when I talk to uh, PR professionals, for example, uh, they they talk about this whole content marketing thing. They're you know you build this audience. My clients would kill to have the reach you have just by publishing a blog post. And I'm over here complaining, yeah, but we get no mainstream media coverage. And it's really weird. We never do get, I, I don't know why. I mean, part of it is being bootstrapped. I mean, when you have capital coming in, all of a sudden you're a real company. It doesn't matter that we've been profitable the whole time and did, yeah. you know, seven plus million bucks last year. You know, yeah. it, it's a weird dynamic. It's a, it's a game to a certain degree. You know, the the new shiny thing that'll never make any revenue is more interesting sometimes than, <laughs> than a good old fashioned profitable business that bugs me. But then again, that's why you, you serve an audience. So you don't worry about those type of things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Corey Miller. I first saw Corey Miller speak at Pressnomics in 2012. He was the first, I think he was like first cab off the rank and his presentation was all about telling your story and just kind of, you know, ignoring the rest of the noise because that's their yeah. story and just stay true to your story. And it was so refreshing to hear him say that. And it really, because we can all get distracted by the, 
the noise and you know what's going on in this in Silicon Valley and the Bay Area and all the kind of hype in the tech space. And WordPress is quite insular, and no one outside WordPress really takes the WordPress thing seriously because they don't yeah, really understand. And yet, it. it's such a huge market, you know. And I think it's growing and and you know expanding. And and I think people are paying more attention to WordPress, even though. Everyone wants, oh, well, the web is dead and this app and that. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, come on. Be yeah. realistic. Yeah. You know, uh, maybe I'm crazy, but I'll, I'll stick with WordPress. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's talk about Copyblogger. Now, let's just define Copyblogger. You guys don't do client services, right? You're a product company and a software as a service company, right? Okay. Right. So... It's fair to say that if WordPress were a corner of the room at a party and Automatic weren't at the party, that you guys would definitely own that corner. I mean, there's, there's, you, you guys are probably the number one WordPress company on the planet apart from Automatic, and you really can't compete with them. But the, the, the interesting thing for me is, when did you realize, like, was that a light bulb moment where you said, okay, to really have success in this space, we need to own it. We need to be the number one at what we do. That's an enormous amount of work, but we are committed to doing it. Was that a conscious thing or did it just kind of happen organically? Yeah, there was never, ever a, we must be number one in WordPress. Never. I mean, the, the focus was always on teaching people and educating people and, and then solving problems for them. And the first product we sold was, was education-based, and we do still have an education arm of the company, but the software side is much bigger, I'd say like nine-tenths of the wow. business. Um, and it evolved out of you know, WordPress being uh, so dominant and so great and powerful at the core, and yet still for those normal people it's hard to use, you know, and, and we realized that early on that we were serving business people, um, you know, so a product like a framework that might not be something that uh, the WordPress core, that, you know, they're like, well, what would I need that for? Well, you know, CSS and PHP, you know, uh, code is not a problem for you. So early on realization that WordPress was fantastic if you could provide Ease of use, more ease of use, and more importantly, support to the business customer who has money and is not uh, adverse to spending it. That realization is all really there was because each you know success from that standpoint uh, led to the next thing, the next problem to solve. It's really very customer needs driven. Not I want to be the number one WordPress company because I think there's plenty of people who think that way, and that's a good way to fail. Not everyone will fail with that mindset, but if you're thinking about your stature more than solving their problems, you rarely succeed. It's very mm. difficult. Yeah, good advice. Did your pricing model, um, was it deliberately aimed at the business customer, not the hobbyist? Because I imagine that the ho like if the hobbyist buys a theme and they start asking lots of support questions, your profit's gone out the window pretty quickly. So did that decision inform your pricing model in the early days? It, it's an interesting mix of people because I, I don't think in terms of business versus hobbyists, I think of terms in do-it-yourself. Right. Um, we evolved heavily from what I call the do-it-yourself WordPress crowd. So WordPress itself might be not what they need or, or maybe perhaps not easy enough to use, but they were still the kind of person who was setting up their own self-hosted websites 
you know, WordPress site and then doing the add-ons, choosing their theme, all of that kind of thing. There's a whole nother realm of market out there where I think that's where you'll see us move to, where even the DIY people like the original WordPress community are going to say, well, I don't need that. I can do this, that, or that. And I'm like, it's not for you. So mm. that's the thing. The <clears throat> distinction is between someone who wants to DIY and someone who wants it done. Yeah, and yeah. that's the next evolution of where WordPress is going. So it's definitely business focused because the mainstreaming of content marketing, you know, everyone kind of knows now, oh, we're going to be invisible if we don't create content. And that's hard enough. Add on to it technical headaches, and it's impossible for mm -hmm. your average small to medium sized business. So that's our mission. <laughs> yeah. Got a work cut out for us. It's right? a, yeah, it's a it's a big, uh, it's a big problem to chew off and <laughs> to bite off and start chewing, isn't it? Um, it's interesting that you say too, knowing who you're right for and who you're not right for. Um, you know, we make the video user manuals plugin and we had a customer email us once and say, oh, I'll never pay for your videos because I can learn how to use WordPress on YouTube. I'm like, yeah, right. You're just not, this is not for you, you know? It's not for you and you value, you know, money more than time. Yeah. And there's a lot of people who value time more than money, you right. know? Never let that discourage you. You have to find the person where your value proposition is right for them. You yeah. know, and, and I hear so many people, they'll get, you know, that kind of email or, or some kind of angry email because they dare sell something I'm like, don't worry about that. You That's know, right. worry about the people over here that are, that you're, they're happy. They're thrilled that you're providing them with what they need. Yeah. It takes a, it takes a thick skin to kind of get to that point, doesn't it? Well, yeah, of course. It's yeah. the internet. I mean, anyone <laughs> can say anything to you anytime. That's, That's right. <laughs> kind of the deal we have. Yeah. So it's, it's talking about developing a thick skin. In the early days when you you were building an audience by blogging and you weren't making any revenue and I would presume that in the early days when you first started posting, nobody was listening, there weren't many comments. How the, how did you stay motivated to keep going and how did you know that this would work eventually? Well, I, I did have the benefit from 98 to 2005 of of gaining a lot of experience. Now you want to talk about lonely 98 to 2000. Oh, that because there wasn't books and conferences and blogs to That's tell right. you how to do all this stuff. That's it right. was, we were all making it up. It was GeoCities, man. What are you talking about? <laughs> that was hard. Yeah. GeoCities. <laughs> the fact that you even know GeoCities dates you right oh, there. Oh yeah. I know GeoCities. <laughs> But um, that said, still the first three months of Copyblogger, crickets, you know, <laughs> I mean, but I had done it enough to know you, you can't just give up. The world's not going to beat a, the path to your door. You have to make it happen. So I, I was creating solid uh, content. It was different, you know, com common wisdom at that time, never over 250 words, uh, has to be personal and you're opinionated and that. So of course I write thousand word articles that are more educational than opinion. <laughs> um, just breaking all the rules, but it turns out that's what people were looking for. So solid foundation being built while I'm, while I'm trying to get someone to notice. Um, and interestingly, uh, your country mate, Darren Rouse, um, mm. nicest guy on the internet. I call him that all the time. He thinks I'm messing with him, but I, he really is the nicest person I know. Mm. Um, 
But so I emailed him after I'd written a post about headlines, you know, which is a copywriting thing. But of course, Darren was writing about titles for blog posts, same thing. And I said, I think this post will be good for your readers. And he linked to it. And that was my first, you know, flow of traffic. Um, And then about the three-month mark, I released a report um, about applying copywriting techniques to content to get more attention and engagement and all that. And that thing took off and that was the catalyst. But I had tried two other things before that that completely failed. Right. So the best advice I can say is quality will win if anyone notices and you've got to, you got to hustle to get noticed. But once you get enough of an audience and that, remember back then that was pre Facebook. Well, Facebook was around, but it was still in, in the dorms. Mm. Um, Twitter didn't exist. Yeah. Social media was not mainstream. If you put something out there and it catches fire today, it, it really is easier. And yet people are always saying, well, it's harder now. Well, but you have more channels now. You mm. have social sharing of content is a thing. It wasn't back then, you mm. know. Um, so there's a lot of assets where people need to think positively. Um, but you have to be creative about being different. You have to be creative about the value you provide. And you've got to find some way to get the word out. And I am the worst of like, even cold emailing Darren Rouse, who's the nicest guy ever. I hated doing that, but it worked. And, you know, and then when I released that report that I mentioned, I emailed everyone, Scoble, you know, all the big bloggers at the time, half of them made fun of me. (laughs) Uh, Some of them were mad about it. Some loved it, but they all linked to me. And I was just like, thank you for getting the URL right. That's all I <laughs> That's all I need at this point. Because there was a hunger for the type of information that I was providing. And I knew that, you know, kind of in my heart. So anyway. So you're entitled to your opinion as long as you get the URL right in the link. Yeah, make fun of me all you want. You know, just send the traffic over because they, they might be interested. And it turned out they were. The key takeaway I'm hearing here is that, you know, you, you, you did a couple of things that didn't work, but you just kept going and you had that dogged kind of determination and faith and belief in what you were doing that, hey, if I find this interesting, chances are there are other people that will find this interesting. I just need to find those people who will find it interesting. And that's my job is to find those people. Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that's a great way to sum it up. Mm. Um, I speak to a lot of people all the time who, who are always talking about how they're going to produce content. And the content never happens. They never produce the content. And I think it's fear that they're going to hear crickets and that's going to damage their confidence. Everyone hears crickets. And, and I always share the story, number one, of the first two years where I failed miserably. You know, and people are like, oh, that sounds like my first two years. Like, it happens to everyone. <laughs> the thing you don't remember and people don't notice is Brian in 2014 is not Brian in 1998. But there's a clear path from 98 to here, right? And everyone has to go on it. And it does get better. Oh, yeah. don't get me wrong. I mean, yeah. you know, it, it, this uh, thing I wrote about, I don't know if it was last year or the year before, this whole concept of the minimum viable audience, kind of a play on the whole lean entrepreneur thing. Mm. Uh, once you get enough of an audience, they start spreading the word for you. And you're, it, it's like night and day. But getting to that point is hard. But once you get past that point, you start enjoying those network effects. And then you, you're just like, oh, I'm so glad I stuck with it. It's funny. I, I have a, this has happened to me recently. And I, I'm going to be completely honest. I'd heard this from James Shramko and a whole bunch of people that were saying, oh, you know, 
once you get to a certain point, people will start referencing you in Facebook groups or in forums, and they'll start talking about your content. And I always think the whole time I'm thinking, oh, bullshit, that's like, that's never going to happen. You guys are all yeah. full of it. You're just saying that because, you know, you guys are all, you know, ridiculously successful. Anyway, we recently had someone join our program who said the reason they joined is because they were on a, a, a WordPress developer chat on Skype, and in that Skype group, someone was raving about what it is we do, and that's the only reason they joined. And that, for me, was a big... I didn't have to physically go and find that customer. They came. Right. I didn't even know who they were, you know. And that for no, me was it a happened. big aha moment. You'd be amazed how much of that back channel stuff happens. Like, you know, it's not that big blogger X linked to you. Everyone thinks that, or the New York Times mentioned you. I mean, you know, you could get someone talking about you on an email list as old school as that is, yep. and sales are coming in, or subscribers are coming in, whatever. And you're like, I don't know what happened, but it's good. Yeah. No, that's the back channel, the the Skype chat. The I mean, all of that stuff. People talk to each other, and they're like, "Wait, I just read this great article that right solved on. problem X Y Z. They recommend your article. You just had marketing happen. Correct. What did you do? You wrote it once, right? That's, that's right. why content is so fantastic. That's right. And the th the lesson for me was it doesn't happen if you don't create content. You know. Yeah. Well, I mean, it is possible to have like an Apple level product or be just a fantastic service provider. I mean, word of mouth has been going on since ancient days, right? <laughs> but now we have word of mouth with internet network effects. Um, but more and more, people are skeptical about being told the product or service is great. What they want first is some other indication of value, and that's why content gets shared so freely, because no one thinks you're a shill for a product if you're just sharing an article, even though you do happen to believe in their ultimate solution. So you'll see people sharing content to introduce uh, their their own friends or network to uh, the, the ultimate business person, right? Yeah. So, you know, people are like, well, how do you get customers? If you build an audience, the customers always, they come to you to buy when they're ready. Yes. They're already, they're there, but you're not hammering them over the head all the time saying, buy now, buy now, and, and feeling like you've got one shot at it. You don't. Mm. When they're ready, they're there. <laughs> yeah, that's right. We, we had, um, we, we, I get emails from customers all the time saying, I've just joined the program. I've been following your stuff for the last six months, and now I'm ready to do this. It's like, all oh, right, that's, that's nice. Back in my real estate days, I used to create these um, email sequences to stay in touch with people over time. And the reason I did that is because your average home buyer – uh, let's say their local is is 30 to 60 days. They'll either do something or they won't. A relocating person, however, will will start looking a year in advance. So how do you have, you know, you either, that person visits your site, you never see them again, or you offer them something where you can stay in touch and provide them value until they're ready. And I had everything from someone who'd been, you know, I started a year ago, I'm ready to buy now, which was fantastic because I didn't do anything else, you know, except create that one time. But the nicest thing for me was emails I get and people were like, you know, I'm really sorry. We're not going to move after all, but you provided so much great. I just wanted to thank you. And yeah. I thought, I mean, that I wasn't going to make any money, but I was like, I can't believe someone took their time to apologize to me yeah. that they're not moving. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so it was those experiences that really solidified this content marketing thing, you know, way ahead of it becoming the thing. Yeah, I mean, yeah. And that's the thing. It's not really a buzz phrase because 
No one's going to say, nah, I'm sick of that valuable information. Just <laughs> give me a sales pitch. That's right. No one's ever going to go back to that, right? That's right. Um, so in those early, how did you know, how did you know when this was an idea worth pursuing? How did you know when copy blogger was going to become a, you know, a serious business, you could, it could be viable, you can make profit out of it and you were going to give it all of your attention. Whew. I knew it was, I knew it would turn into something. Um, that first year I knew it was going to provide a, a living for me. Um, and at that point, I still didn't know exactly how, but I had been, I'd done it long enough to know if people are paying attention to you, there are economic possibilities there. Um, my initial idea, and it's funny because I did end up building the company through a series of partnerships, but um, after the real estate company thing, I, I said, I'm never having partners. I'm never having employees again. It's just me, and I'll, I'll do joint ventures or whatever. Of course, now uh, we have 33 employees, so I'm not very good <laughs> at that, but I'm happy that we're here. But that was the original idea, um, so I knew that the opportunities would come to me. I just didn't know exactly what they were, and when I tell that story, some people are just like, that would drive me insane. To me, that's exciting because, uh, you know, Sometimes your initial idea of what you're going to do is much smaller than what you end up getting to do. And uh, that's why, you know, I think we all need to keep our minds open to what comes along. Uh, one thing people don't realize is that uh, I said no to, you know, 95 things and five, yes to five things because those were the right things that, you know, there were so many opportunities for people to, to make a fast buck. Mm. You got to think about what's the long-term value of this audience is it really worth it to sell them out, you know, yeah. for a, this amount of money instead of long term? Uh, again, it's some people will not hear that. They're just like, no, you're being crazy. You got to go for the money now. And I'm like, well, I got to think long term because usually you're going to, it's going to work out much better. Yeah, it's a big temptation that's hard to resist. I remember thinking at one stage I was going to sell coffee machines on Amazon as an affiliate marketer just to kind of monetize the audience that I was building uh, until I started researching, you know, that I, I worked out I was going to have to become like the number one guy on the planet that loved coffee machines. And I realized yeah. that I love coffee. I actually just don't really care about coffee machines that much, you know. <laughs> right. And um, it just like wasn't worth, you know. <laughs> I just went, no, 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 no. This is short-term thinking. Think about, you know, building right. a long-term relationship. So between authority Entreproducer, Genesis, Scribe, Synthesis Hosting, New Rainmaker, all of the ebooks and webinars you guys produce. How the hell do you manage to produce that output and make sure you continue to deliver what it is you promise? How does stuff not fall through the cracks all the time? Hmm. Um, that's a good question. Usually, what we'll do with any new project is I'll be involved hands on. Um, get it going, get it st stable, and then it can be uh, it, it can be managed, you know, uh, to a certain degree. Um, but you have to realize that I kind of just let go of Copy Blogger <laughs> this year uh, to where um, Jared uh, manages it. Jared Morris is our our director of content, um, and Sonia Simone's our chief content officer, and she oversees everything content wise. Um, 
but again, kind of at a big picture level and she's very involved in authority. But I don't know. It, it, like I said, we've got a great team. And so when, when a product is out there, um, you know, there, there's obviously the words that sell those things. But really, when it comes down to it, it's product development and it's support and, and the things of, uh, that, a, that a business functions to provide the customer. And, and when you have customers that depend on you, it's real easy to get up in the morning and show up, right? Or otherwise, your reputation is, is going down fast. I think that's what drives us. I mean, we, we just don't want anyone. And of course, People will always complain. To, you know this. Yeah. I mean, you could be you could be perfect, and someone will say, "Ah, you're a little too perfect for me." You know? <laughs> <laughs> there, there's always that. But taking that out of the equation, generally, you're just trying to make sure that everyone's delighted, and uh, and that really drives us to to keep our eye on the ball, if you will. Yeah. Um, nice. Yet we're not doing this for you know a lot of times companies that don't take venture capital or something are called lifestyle businesses. But I don't think that's fair to say. I mean, we take this very seriously. Um, and lives aren't that bad either. But yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, this is the connotation. I, I worry about that sometimes. Yeah, yeah. Um, so good, a good, you know, you keep talking about the team. It's important. It's really important to have a team around you to support the vision and to help you drive the move the ship forward, so to speak. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, and it's, it's funny because um, our editorial team is really only six people. Um, and we produce quite a bit, but we also have outside contributors um, that, but we treat Copyblogger always have um, as a magazine. So back in 2007, this is an interesting story because all the buzz about guest posting and, and mm. stuff like that. Um, I was one of the first people to take guest post. And number one, I was always interested in creating a media publication, not a blog, even though it grew out of the blogging space. Um, but the way that started was on accident because I was tired and wanted to go on vacation and I wanted the blog to keep going. And I didn't want to write. So I asked some people that were, you know, in the audience who were also, you know, writers themselves. I said, Hey, you want to cover for me <laughs> for, uh, and they said yes. And, um, but I still, when their posts came in, before they went up, I edited them in line like you would with a magazine to be consistent with the voice and all of that kind of thing. Um, and that's how it started because the audience loved it that there were other voices. And I loved it because, again, back at that time, blogging was about that person and their opinions and this and that. And I was like, oh, you know, I don't want to be the center of attention. I want the media property to be the thing. Mm. Interesting thing about that, though, is all these years later, I'm still number one associated with Coffee Blogger, whether I show up anymore or not. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> so you do build that so-called personal brand, uh, but you don't have to put yourself front and center all the time. What you have to do is deliver value. And people are like, I think that Clark guy was the one who's, who gave me this ultimately, yeah. right? And it, it helps and it transfers that way. So we have a, a very talented um, editorial team, but it's not as big as some people think. Right. And it's interesting too, isn't it? Because, you know, ha having, having other people contribute and other people write, you know, the, the, it, 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 just, it, 
distinguishes it from being the Brian Clark fan club to actually being a company that delivers value to its customers. And I think that's always the danger with too much personal branding is that, well, without that person, that business no longer exists. Yeah, that's absolutely true. And I think it did allow us to be, you know, back to your earlier point, did you want to become the number one word? You know, no, but it did make us a very trusted, professional provider of solutions that, mm. that was not going to be gone the next day. Mm. And again, the whole, you know, Brian Clark show, I, I never wanted that. But even to my attention seeking friends, <laughs> I would say don't, it, it'll happen naturally by the creation of the platform, right? Yeah. You don't have to push yourself because it will just happen. And in fact, I think there's an argument to be made that your personal brand will be stronger the more you let the content and the value and the other voices speak for themselves. Mm. Because you're still the guy who put it all together, right? Mm. The host of a great party still gets the credit. Yeah, that's right. Absolutely. Um, how, how important are systems and processes in your business? And how do you go about des designing them and getting your, your team to buy into them and actually say, okay, this is a new process, I'm happy to learn it, I'm happy to get my head around it, I'm happy to take ownership of it and execute it. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely huge. And the one thing um, I was really good at in my previous businesses was bringing in business, the whole rainmaker concept. What I was really bad at was managing the business. Um, I, I couldn't delegate, I tried to do everything myself and therefore I was working 16 hours a day and being miserable. So when I came back, first I had that mentality like, you know, I'm not going to let that happen to myself again. The reason it didn't was because, you know, my very earliest partner was Tony Clark, um, who's now our chief operations guy, and he's a process geek. So, um, and his wife, Kim, is our head of support. So back in the early days, it was the three of us. And if you think about the fact that it grew from me, the marketer, to Tony, the operations guy who could also design and code, and Kim, the support person, that's a microcosm of what we are today. Right. And it grew out because I you know, helped the marketing and content side scale. Tony helped you know, operations deve and development and design scale. Uh, Brian Gardner, of course, is hugely instrumental in that. But of course, Brian came to us because we... He had a good idea that we knew what we were doing, you know, so it mm. all kind of self-perpetuates. You get more help mm. by being uh, perceived as, as knowing what you're doing in the first place. Mm. And then, of course, the support side grew out of the, the processes that Kim and Tony had implemented uh, as we grew from that three-person team. So when you look at it that way, it's not quite so fantastic or mystical. It's that we were fortunate to have three core components right from the beginning, and then we grew organically out of that. And I think the struggle, again, in my own personal past entrepreneurial life, is if you don't have that core from the beginning, you grow, <laughs> but you grow chaotically. <laughs> and yeah. I think that happens to a lot of people. So I don't think it's magical, but I think we were very fortunate the way, that, the way it happened. Any, uh, any advice for getting your staff to actually adopt a new process? And again, because a lot of people resist change. A lot of people don't want to change their daily routine because it requires additional brain power. Any tips on getting staff to actually buy into a new system or a new process? Yeah, I mean, 
you know, on one hand, you can make it clear this is the way things are done <laughs> from the beginning. Uh, but it's harder when you, you do pivot, evolve, whatever you want to call it, then you do have to get buy-in. Um, we've been fortunate in that we've hired from with, uh, I'm going to talk about the audience thing over and over, but it really is the driving force of everything we've done. But we always hire people that are our fans. Even before Studio Press became a part of, of us, Gardner did the same thing. You know, these were Studio Press fans or Brian Gardner fans from his earlier revolution days that came into the business. Uh, same thing with us. You know, Sonia was the, one of the first people to buy our very first product. And now she's a partner and an executive in the company. So, mm. um, we never had a problem with buy-in because everyone had bought in at the at the uh, either the audience or customer level already. Some often both. So they they knew what we stood for, they knew what we were trying to do, and they wanted to be a part of it. When you have that, it becomes very easy, you know, and it's also very easy to be accused of being a cult. But <laughs> I don't, <laughs> I don't, we don't have that vibe inside. But everyone <laughs> believes, uh, you know, that yeah. it's very cool. <clears throat> so sometimes um, we're still a very uh, non-traditional company. We do things that defy conventional wisdom. Um, and then they work, and then people are more willing to trust you, even when it sounds kind of crazy. Maybe he knows what he's talking about. Maybe they, you know, what, whoever the idea may come from. Mm. Um, so on one hand, it, it helps to have um, kind of the true believers uh, as a recruiting process. And you, you'll see much larger companies like Google and Apple, they have the same philosophy. We're just a much smaller um, yeah. example <clears throat> of that. Uh, but even even then, there's got to be this level of trust where you say, for example, I'll say, we're going to do this, and it sounds crazy, and yet they're going to be like, all right, you know, you haven't <laughs> steered us wrong so far. You know, you, there's some level of that, and I don't think that comes from, uh, you know, this naked authority, you'll do what I say kind of thing. It comes from that they actually trust and respect you. And that, uh, I don't profess to be some great leader. I'm just a guy making it up as I go along. But I've always believed to treat people fairly and demonstrate instead of dictate. And if people believe because they've seen it, then you're, you're going to get more buy-in. They're going to say, I'm not 100% sure, but I'm going to go with you, right? You know? So, and that's what you need. That's leading people into battle or developing WordPress software. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, there's, there's lots of gold in that. And, you know, the cult analogy, I actually think when I actually think that's a compliment because what, what companies with strong culture have in common with cults is they have strong leadership and lots of people who believe in the leadership and believe in the cause, um, sure, there's some really weird stuff about cults that companies with strong cultures shouldn't have. Yeah, no, but I think the difference is is that unlike a cult, you empower everyone to carry on the message. You know, you, you say, no, okay, you believe, then you get to demonstrate that in your interactions with customers or in the work product that you create. And it, that sense of ownership is really what gets people to stick because ultimately a cult, yeah. you know, if you start getting dissent, next thing you know, 
you know, you're having a bad Kool-Aid party and that, <laughs> that's, right. that's not good. And that's so right. you have to, it, there can be that similarity coming in, but then you have to give people ownership back so that it's theirs, yeah. literally theirs. Yeah. Uh, for anyone who doesn't know the Kool-Aid reference, I'm going to leave a link to the Jonestown Massacre in the show notes. <laughs> that it's, was probably it's... in terrible taste. I no, no, no. I, it's that, that whole, that whole... That whole story is fascinating in its own right. I think it's one of the most fascinating things that's happened in modern world human history, the Jonestown Massacre. So I'll leave a link to that. Check it out. Um, uh, anyway, just to be clear, Copy Blogger is not a cult. It's a company with a great <laughs> culture. We do not even like Kool-Aid. Just to be clear on this. All right, let's have a look at our Elevation round. For those that don't know, uh, WP Elevation is the world's first business accelerator program specifically designed to help WordPress consultants build a sustainable business. Uh, in this round, I'm going to ask Brian some quick questions, and you're just going to give me some quick answers off the top of your head. Sound good? Oh, okay. All right. <laughs> What's the number one thing any freelancer or consultant needs to know? Ooh, talk about uh, solving problems. Um, understand what their ultimate uh, desire or benefit is as opposed to... I always try to give people this example, especially to the writers out there. No one wants to hire a writer, right? What they want to do is make more money and have more uh, free time and spend more time with their kids and, and pay for college, okay? <laughs> and, and that's, to a certain degree, that's marketing 101, and yet it's still hard to get your head around. Uh, so you have to become a solution uh, as much as that word is overused, it's still true, um, you know. And I also think that uh, there's a big opportunity in this space to have your own network and say, you, you know, you're a writer, but you need a website? All right, I'll take care of that for you. And then, of course, you collaborate with your, your other providers. And when they're the point of sale, they're bringing you in to do the content, right? That's a long answer, but that's what I think they need to take away. That's gold. What's the best thing you've ever done to find new customers? I think I know the answer to this. Yeah, they're always there. They're in the audience and when they're ready, they raise their hand and, and we're happy to do business. Excellent. Uh, how do you stop competing on price? That's a tough one, um, especially when uh, things aren't uh, going as well. So on one hand, here's our philosophy. Um, to our existing customers, uh, especially since we have a huge one-time purchase side of the business, which is StudioPress. Uh, and then we have our recurring lines of business, which are much more stable and, and all that kind of thing. Um, so we're going to give, we're going to treat existing customers better, and often that will be on price. And I see no problem with that. But if you're constantly doing the Groupon <laughs> out there in the world, what do you think people are going to think of your of your product or service mm -hmm. that it's not worth, right? Mm -hmm. So you need to uh, compete on value and differentiation, um, being solving a problem in a unique way, um, and also. It's weird human psychology, but raising your prices often works better than lowering them. Yep, it sure does. It is weird human psychology, but it works. Uh, any tips on writing better proposals? Hmm, that's, uh, that's actually Copywriting 101. And if you Google copywriting, there may be a site that comes up <laughs> with some free information on that for you. Um, <laughs> but that's it. It's A proposal is, I can help you you know, with what you're trying to achieve. And again, remember that it's, uh, it's the thing, but it's also the bigger thing that the ultimate benefit of more money or more freedom or, or whatever. So 
anything you, that you can do to, to create engagement and excitement without hyperbole, you don't have to be over the top. You just have to hold attention because that's 80% of the battle sometimes is just getting a very tired person to read your design proposal when they just want to go home, right? Yep. So figure out a way to uh, what, just make people uh, go, wow. And a lot of times that's just very simple writing techniques. And that's one of the reasons why I started Copy Blogger because it works for that marketing content, but it works for anything that you want someone to actually read. read yeah. <laughs> and isn't hyperbole an underused word? I'm going to put a link to that in the show notes and the definition of it because I love... I, people knows what hype means, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah. I love hyperbole. It's great. Um, do you have a favorite tool for CRM? You know, we're very simple in, in that it's, you know, email. Uh, email drives our business, um, both with our existing customers, being able to communicate with them and offer them, uh, you know, what I mentioned, the opportunity to, uh, you know, look at some of our other stuff, um, to deliver content in the first place. Um, all of that thing is still very email driven. It's, it's less complicated than you would think. In fact, we were talking to someone at one of the big marketing automation companies and they said, you've done this well with this just basic, <laughs> you know, no bells and whistles thing. And I'm like, you know, those crazy words, you know, when uh, delivered with uh, value for the recipient in mind, it works wonders. Mm. That's the problem most companies have. They've got all the bells and whistles and mm. they're not getting the words right. Mm. So it's very much just uh, content communication of value and email to deliver it. Mm. Nice. Uh, substance over style. What's the best way to keep a project on track? Ooh, know where you're trying to get um, from the beginning. Uh, I, I've said that earlier in the conversation, begin with the end in mind, um, because that allows you to at least know. You may not know what all the steps are, but you know where to start, and generally uh, those things reveal. And if you start getting off track, you realize that your goal is all of a sudden over here and you're heading in that direction. Um, the only reason why I get off track with a project is when I realize I should have never started it in the first place. <laughs> so a lot of times those signals you, you need to stop and pay attention to because life's too short to do crap you don't want to do. Yep, absolutely. Uh, any ideas for getting referrals? Well, it, it's interesting and we touched on this a bit because this whole concept of social media marketing, which is really just you know, people talking about other people in a, in a way that's favorable to a business, right? Um, that's just an extension of old-fashioned word of mouth, you know, from ancient times to pre-internet to now. Uh, it's, are you doing something uh, worth talking about? So what, what was it? I think it was uh, Ben Franklin who said... Uh, either write something worth reading or do something worth writing about. So either get, some, mm. get them to write about you or, or you know, create the content yourself. In essence, that's a way for people to talk about you. And nice. I think that's really what this whole content marketing thing comes down to, people sharing something worth uh, talking about. Worth sharing, yeah. Um, what's the number one thing you can do to differentiate yourself? There, there's no number one thing, and that's the thing. Um, what 
the thing that works for Troy or the thing that works for Brian won't work for you the same way because we just did it. And therefore, <laughs> you're no longer different. Yeah. But there's always, I mean, people uh, hear, you know, oh, it's too, uh, too much competition, this or that. Not really. Not for something that's really good that stands out in a unique way. And it doesn't have to be controversial. It doesn't have to be obnoxious. In fact, often um, you can differentiate yourself in a way that that's quite humble or underspoken in today's hyperbolic world. There we go. We got to use it twice. (laughs) Um, And people are like, hell yeah, that's refreshing, right? You know, I mean, it's amazing. I always say when everyone's zigging, you got to zag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's just go against the grain one way or another. It's just that the easiest way to do that is to be loud and obnoxious, which is why people continue to do it. Yeah. Um, but sometimes that has consequences you may not enjoy. Yeah, and it's all, it's it's very hard to sustain being loud and obnoxious because it's exhausting, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> very, it's very tiring because you're half the people hate you, the other people love you. You know? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's very tiring. <laughs> and the minute and the minute you stop being controversial and loud and obnoxious, then you just yeah, fade off into oblivion. The next yeah, one, exactly. Right? The next train wreck is always waiting to happen. Exactly. Uh, awesome. Thank you for the elevation round. What's the future for Copy Blogger? Where do you see this? company in 12 months or two years time? So yeah, for the last three years, we've really been working on, you know, the next level. And we kind of alluded to the fact that, so the DIY crowd, we will never leave them because we are them. And yet there is this entire world out there of business people who understand they've heard of WordPress. They may not know how to use it, Um, They know they have to have a more dynamic presence, not a brochure website. They've got to create content, but the technology is just baffling to them. Mm. You know, I mean, uh, I I talk to my my mother-in-law or even my wife, you know, and they're aware, obviously, of what we do. And yet, if I put WordPress in front of them, they wouldn't know the first thing to do. Mm. Um, So we're going to solve that problem kind of like, uh, you're familiar with Squarespace, right? Mm. Um, so the, the ease of setup and, and ease of use of a Squarespace, but it's not very powerful. Mm. And then at the other end, you've got HubSpot, which is powerful and very expensive. So there's this huge underserved middle area. And we think the very platform that we've used to grow from a blog to a multi-million dollar company, I think we've proved it works. Mm. And so... That's our next thing. That's what we're focusing on in the near term, very near term, actually. So, am I? Uh, you heard it first here on the WP Elevation podcast. Am I hearing that you're potentially going to be building software on top of WordPress, or is this standalone software that that stands outside of WordPress? No, we are firm believers that the WordPress core is untouchable. Uh, you will never have proprietary software that has uh, a core. Uh, you know, center uh, with that many passionate, smart developers, you know, working on it constantly. They're not doing it for money. So therefore, you know, Mm. uh, if if a a platform company starts seeing bad days, Mm. development's going to go down, innovation's going to go down. It's a self-perpetuating death spiral. That's Mm. not going to happen to WordPress. Mm. Uh, And besides, everything that we use and have built is on that core. But you have to understand, 
the New York Times uses WordPress, but it's a custom version of WordPress. Mm. Time, same thing. A lot of major media companies use WordPress, but it's not off-the-shelf WordPress. Mm. And I think what we'd like to deliver to people, you know, even Copyblogger runs not on off-the-shelf WordPress. So that's what we want to deliver to people in a way that's as easy to push a button and it's there. Right. So not doing custom client service, but a a hosted software solution that where business owners can use essentially a, a platform on top of WordPress to allow them to do content marketing properly. And we see the people that could benefit the absolute most from this are the designers and developers who struggle with infrastructure before they can even get to the point where perhaps they're creating the content or something like that. Yeah. Um, your services are worth what your services are worth, whether you push a button or you spend a week coding. Yep. So um, we, as opposed to being a developer, you know, like this, we're embracing. Mm. Uh, again, the community uh, is uh, people who wouldn't use our solution themselves, but their clients are the ones who might want to use something like this. So yeah, yeah. Um, we just see it as a natural evolution of where we've come from and where WordPress in general just, you know, content marketing itself has to go to the next level of, of people who can't deal with plugins and stuff like that. Mm, fascinating. I, I can't, um, I mean, obviously there's no release date or anything for this kind of stuff, but it's happening this year, is it? 2014 is the year for this? Yeah, uh, March. March. Yeah. Um, you, um, we're, we just launched a, a new uh, content site called newrainmaker.com, which yeah. I know you've seen. Yeah. So right now it's this very different kind of podcast but it's leading to something else. Yeah. So um, just if you want to watch, you know, sign up. <laughs> I'm watching. I've already signed up. Don't worry. I'm watching with bated yeah. breath. I'm fascinated to see where this goes because I've kind of seen a vision in my head of where I think you're going and I'm, I'm really interested to see how it pans out because, um, you know, it's funny. Every time I put a client in front of the WordPress dashboard for the first time, they try and, you know, for example, drag an image into the WYSIWYG editor and, and they go, oh, well, that's broken, isn't it? That doesn't work. And I'm like, oh, actually, it's not broken. That's just what it does out of the box. <laughs> Right, right. I know. It's I know. nuts, isn't it? We think it's so easy to use, but it still has quite a learning curve for people who have never used it and don't know what they're doing. So I'd be really fascinated to see how you solve this problem. Speaking of solving problems, uh, competition details, Brian is giving away the uh, Studio Press Pro Pack. Is that what it's called? Yes. The Genesis Pro Pack, which is all the Genesis themes, the Genesis framework, and everything they do from here on in. It's valued at $400. In order to enter this competition... Leave a comment under this video and tell Brian the number one WordPress challenge or problem that you think nobody is solving. So it could be, you know, specialized WordPress hosting. We know there are a few players in that market. It could be, uh, you know, uh, lead funnels and sales funnels. There are a few players there. But you tell us the number one WordPress challenge or problem that you've got that you think no one is solving. And I'll get Brian to swing by in a couple of weeks and award the prize. Sound good? That's awesome. All right. I can't hey, wait to see what people have to say. Me too. Um, just before we wrap up, what's the number one piece of advice you would give any entrepreneur trying to build their own business? You know what I'm going to say. <laughs> build an audience first. I, I sound like a broken record, but it is so powerful. And let me, yeah. let me give you a different answer to a certain degree um, because I'm, I'm actually working on the next episode of the New Rainmaker podcast. And it's all about when you take a media approach instead of a marketing approach, so you create content to sell the stuff you sell, right? But, but 
what's left over has value in itself. Mm. It's not disposable marketing collateral. Mm. So I use the example of Procter and Gamble in the thirties, they created the soap opera themselves. They produced it themselves to reach depression era housewives and, uh, to obviously sell them soap and <laughs> other products like that. Uh, over time, they moved it to television from radio. And then over time from there, it became the most lucrative form of television on the planet in the 70s. P&G owned all the intellectual property rights to that. So, wow. Okay, and, and let me give you a more down-to-earth example. So I've been offered seven figures just for copyblogger.com. Not the lines of business that make all the money because that traffic and that platform and that audience have value to anyone who wants put advertising on it or to sell stuff, you know, whatever. And of course I said no, because it's worth more to me. Mm. So your marketing is also intellectual property. That is the thing you really need to think, wait, wait a minute. So I am a media, I'm in the media business. I just don't sell advertising. I sell design services or development, or I sell content marketing services, whatever the case might be. So if I'm an entrepreneur, well, I've done this several times, so I can't use me as an example, but that's what I'm telling people. You're building assets that are way beyond whatever it is you sell, and that is interesting, so wow. think about that. I like it a lot. That, ladies and gentlemen, is worth the price of admission alone, uh, given the fact this is a free podcast. you just got tons of value. Um, so where can people reach out and say thanks for this interview, Brian? Well, you know, of course, always at copyblogger.com. We've got the whole free library of, of ebooks that you can sign up for. The blog publishes uh, a couple times a day sometimes. And, uh, and of course, there's a new thing, which is newrainmaker.com. It is a free, uh, right now we're doing audio, but it's also going to be uh, written reports, webinars, all sorts of stuff. And of course, we will actually unveil our new platform over there. So awesome! And Twitter is at Copyblogger. Is that right? That's the uh, the main blog handle. I'm actually at Brian Clark. Cool. Whichever one, you know, I'll I'll talk about the Denver Broncos on mine. In addition <laughs> to tweeting, you know, some valuable stuff. So Excellent. your choice on which one you want to follow. Excellent. Well, th uh, just before we close, finally, who would you like me to try and interview, and why? That's interesting. Have you ever in interviewed Mullenweg? Uh, no, I haven't. In fact, um, um, I can announce this because this will actually go live after it's happened. Um, so Matt uh, and a group of WordPress entrepreneurs and I'm hosting a Google Hangout in a couple of weeks called WP Think Tank, which is going to be a panel discussion between uh, Matt Mullenweg, Jake Goldman, Lisa Sabine Wilson, Miriam Schwab, um, and there's a couple of others in there I can't remember off the top of my head. Scott Basgard from WooThemes. And we're basically going to talk about the future of WordPress, the opportunities and the challenges. But I haven't had him on the podcast as yet. Well, it doesn't matter because you've got that lined up and I want to actually see that. So I oh, win, right? What do I win for, for predicting that you would have Matt? <laughs> what do you win? <laughs> I'll make no, I, I appreciate being here. I think that was one enough. So. I'll, I'll make sure you get a link to the WP Think Tank. It's going to be a live hangout. We'll also post the recordings up. But I will definitely yeah. get Matt on the podcast. I do want to get Matt on the podcast, so I'm sure I'll make you that should. happen. You he, should. He'd be interesting to uh, ask him. You, you're, you're a good interviewer. You ask good questions. So I'd like to see uh, how Matt handles you. <laughs> <laughs>
Well, thank you, Brian. I take that as a huge compliment. Thank you very much for spending some time with us on the WP Elevation podcast. And I wish you all the best for the future. And I wish you all the best for Copy Blogger and Rainmaker. And I'm very excited to see what you guys produce in 2014. Thank you so much. Cheers. Well, I hope you enjoyed that episode of the WP Elevation podcast as much as I did. Brian Clark is an inspirational entrepreneur and a fantastic asset to the WordPress community. And I certainly learned a lot in that interview. And I hope you did too. This episode of the WP Elevation podcast is brought to you by the WP Elevation program, the world's first business accelerator for WordPress consultants to work with better quality clients, get better, more interesting projects, and more importantly, get paid the fees that you finally deserve. Check it out at wpelevation.com. Everything we talked about in this episode is in the show notes at wpelevation.com slash Brian Clark. Brian Clark is all one word and there is no E on the end. So wpelevation.com slash Brian Clark for all of the show notes, a complete transcription of the episode and links to everything that we spoke about uh, in the interview. And remember to leave your comments under the video telling Brian the number one WordPress challenge that you don't think anyone has solved right now. And Brian's going to swing by in a couple of weeks and award the prize, which is, of course, the Genesis Pro Pack, valued at $400, uh, the Genesis theme framework and all of the themes and everything that they release in the future. It's an amazing prize. So make sure you leave your comments under the video to enter that competition. And of course, subscribe to the podcast and our blog at wpelevation.com slash subscribe. I've really enjoyed this episode. I hope you have too. I look forward to seeing you next week on the WP Elevation podcast. Until next time, go elevate.